The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today is Cherie Warwick. Cherie is a national speaker, an expert on business financing, and the author of the book, Creating Business Plans That Actually Get Financed. She wrote the book for business owners to use as a guide for creating business plans that banks, angel investors, venture capitalists, and others who have money that can support your business actually put money into. And her strategies are praised by numerous angel investors and commercial and bankers, including some people you probably heard of, like Barbara Corcoran of the hit TV show. Shark Tank and Valerie Gatos, the founder of the Angel Venture Forum. So if you have a great business and you're looking to raise some cash for it, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen carefully. Cherie, welcome to our show today. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. Absolutely. This is something that, you know, I've worked with businesses now for almost two decades, and this is something that we hear over and over and over again. Is how do I get cash either to get started or to grow my existing business to the next level? I've got this vision, but I don't have the money to help me get there. So uh, let's find out a little bit about you before we delve into some of the strategies. So how did you get to be such an expert in this area, you know, writing business plans in order to raise cash? Well, I got started because I had to write my own business plan. (laughs) I um, was part of a family business. My mother and I owned a bookkeeping company, and she still actually owns it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we were doing very well the first couple of years, and she decided, okay, well, let's really try to expand our bookkeeping company. We're going to go after a business loan. Well, of course, the first thing you do once you uh, decide to go after a business loan is you have to sit down and write the business plan. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to do that, so she gave me the assignment of actually writing the business plan. Mm-hmm. So I went online and I, I started looking at books and information in terms of how to write a business plan. But one of the fundamental things I didn't see was how do you write a business plan that banks actually say yes to? What's the information that banks are looking for that they say, okay, this is the company that we want to to back and we want to be behind? Mm -hmm. And I did not really see that. I kind of had to piece it together. So I wrote the business plan. I asked a mentor of mine who had about 40 years of experience to just kind of glance over it and give me some, some feedback, which he did. And the bank ended up saying it was one of the best business plans that they had ever read. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So after that uh, whole process, I really just became more and more fascinated with the idea of how do we write business plans that multiple people will say yes to. I spoke with a lot of additional sources, um, people who have been raising capital for many years, and got their input in terms of, of this topic and um, ended up writing the book. 
Wow. And so how long have you been at this then? Has it been just a couple of years ago since that first business plan? Or yes. has it been a while? Just a couple of years. So, just just, a, just yeah. about three or four years, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you've moved that quickly. And, you know, as, as many entrepreneurs do, they find something that is deficient in the marketplace or something they think they can do better, and they create a business around it. And here you are uh, writing this book because it's something that you couldn't find when you needed it. So uh, uh, very astute with that that right there. Now let me before we get into the business plan itself, let's let's take a peek at the financial landscape that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um we hear over and over again uh that banks aren't lending mm-hmm. and I, I hear that from a lot of my entrepreneurial friends that I just can't get that bank loan. But then some of my banker friends are saying, Oh, you know, the money's out there. We're looking for those deals but, you know, they're just not matching up. So so are the banks lending? I mean what are you seeing? Well, the banks are lending, however, um, the banks are lending very, very strategically. What has happened over the past few years is the banks have been kind of holding on to their cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've spoken with several banker friends of mine who said that the banks now have so much cash that they are looking for the good businesses to loan money to. Um However, over the past couple of years, the banks on each, uh, during each year have loaned about $200 billion uh, per year to small businesses. So the fact that people believe that banks have not been lending mm-hmm. is incorrect. And yeah. that money this year, in 2013, is expected to increase even more because the banks are becoming aggressive. The disconnect with entrepreneurs is that, number one, you have to have good collateral and good credit to get mm-hmm. a bank loan. If right. you do not have those two things, you're wasting your time with the bank. I don't care how great your business plan is. Okay, number so you three, have, you have to have collateral and what was the other thing? You have to have good collateral and good credit. And credit the third collateral. thing really is good cash flow. Okay, so three C's, credit, three C's. collateral, and cash flow. Yes. Yes, and if you do not have those three things and you cannot show the bank that you have those three things, you're never going to get a loan. Again, it doesn't matter how great the business idea is. Okay, so it's it's not just a matter of saying, I have a great business idea. You have to be able to approach a bank with those three things uh, in the positive territory. And even, even then sometimes, though, um, Banks will often turn down a good idea. I mean, I know oh, absolutely. plenty of businesses that are in good shape, at least to my knowledge. They appear to be in good shape, but they still can't get a loan for their idea. Why is that? Well, the second uh, amazing part in terms of financing, whether you're going to a bank or an angel investor or a venture capitalist, is that they will turn down a great idea if you do not have, number one, a great customer acquisition plan. How are you going to get the people through the door? How are you going to market and promote yourself? And number two, a solid team to actually put that customer acquisition and service and retention plan in place. Okay. so we see a lot of companies that have great ideas that are being turned down because they have a deficient team. And even within your business plan, if you say, we don't have this team member yet, mm-hmm. but here are the characteristics that this team member is going to have, and here's how we're going to recruit this team member, you still have a chance. 
Okay. And that was going to be my question. When you say the team, what are they looking for? Are they looking for people in key areas? Are they looking for a certain amount of experience? And if so, are they looking for experience that is uh, especially relevant to the idea? I mean, what, what are they looking for there? Well, within the team, within any business, there are certain things that need to be done, certain functions in terms of marketing, in terms mm-hmm. of production, accounting, legal. Within any business, these things have to be done. So within every business, you're looking at what does it really take for this business to actually function and who are the people that I'm going to pull or what characteristics do they need in order to make this successful. So I'll give you an example. I know a woman who owns a government contracting company, Mm -hmm. and she wanted to get in with the Department of Defense. So one of the things she did in order to beef up her team was she hired – Uh, about three or four members of what she called a board of advisors. Mm -hmm. And one of those members was specifically for business development. And this was an ex-general that could basically take her by the hand, and she told me this literally, take her by Mm -hmm. the hand and walk her into the Department of Defense and approach the appropriate person and say to that person, with the decision-making and buying-making power, you need to use this company for these projects. So that's where a team comes in. And a lot of times we don't think strategically as business owners in terms of what team members do we really need to make our businesses work. Right. And if I'm hearing you correctly, you don't necessarily need to bring those team members on as employees. You can have them in advisory capacities. Is that correct? Absolutely. You can have them as advisors. You could have them as subcontractors. You can have them um, in, in various different capacities because, you know, for the example I gave, she didn't need a full-time person to do that. Mm -hmm. She just needed somebody to lay the groundwork and to have enough um, authority and credibility within that marketplace to make her company credible, and then she could take it from there. Exactly. So, you know, you go through your book and you talk about some of the mistakes that business owners, entrepreneurs make when they're writing their business plans and Mm -hmm. trying to present them to investors. And obviously one of them is not having your team in place. Uh, What are some of the other things that you see that can trip a business owner up when they go to present a business plan to investors? Well, one of the key things that investors and banks constantly say is that the business owner doesn't put themselves in the shoes or in the position or place of that investor or that Mm -hmm. bank. So what is a bank looking for? They are looking for cash flow. Once you have great credit and you have great um, collateral, they're looking for cash flow. And the example that I use is, let's say it's the end of the month, and you have a choice of buying your baby food or paying the bank their loan back, which are you going to do? Mm. If you don't have enough cash flow to do both, the bank knows that you will buy your baby food and you will take care of your child and the bank will not get its money. Mm-hmm. So what the bank wants you to prove to them is that you will have enough money that you will take the money that they're giving you and create more than enough money to take care of your business, your business payroll, rent, things like that, your personal bills, Mm -hmm. 
and be able to pay the bank back and have enough money thereafter for profit. Okay. So the cash flow, well, we we all have heard that old saying, cash is king. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to presenting to a bank or investors, that is especially true. And so many businesses will say, well, if I had the cash, I wouldn't be in front of a banker or an investor. (laughs) So uh, you care to comment on that uh, comeback from business owners? Because I'm sure you've heard it too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think that you have to have a certain amount of cash to take care of your own personal bills. Mm -hmm. And you have to look at what you're using the money for. So are we using the money in order to expand in a current market and we just need the money, you know, to pay for an aggressive marketing plan, but we currently have our our current bills already taken care of? Mm -hmm. Well, that's one scenario. Or am I using this money to take care of of the current bills, you know, that I I currently have in place? Mm -hmm. Well, then, of course, the bank is going to be a little bit more shaky about a situation like that. Absolutely. And before we go on, because you have six parts to an investable business plan that I want to make sure we cover, but before we get into those six parts, uh, sometimes entrepreneurs don't realize that banks, just as investors uh, have certain kinds of industries that they're more comfortable with, sometimes banks are the same way. A bank is not a bank is not a bank. And talk to us about that and how, what kind of homework a business owner needs to do in order to find out that information. Well, the best homework to do is to speak to um, several commercial bankers and learn about the bank itself and the types of uh, companies they feel comfortable with. Like you said, some every bank has a portfolio, a lending portfolio. Some banks love dentist office and dentist offices and doctor's offices. Mm-hmm. Other banks, and, and I'm from the D.C. area, so I'll use this example, love government contractors. They understand mm-hmm. that business. Um, other banks feel comfortable with restaurants and retail stores. So, no, a bank is not a bank is not a bank. However, I will say this, and I heard this from a banker, is that every business needs a banker. You need that person that is going to fight for you and fight for your, fight for your loan once you um, – once you fill in your paperwork. Mm-hmm. So finding a banker that says, yes, the, your business is the type of business that we have funded before and we do um, do uh, back financially, we, you know, we do uh, your type of business uh, consistently, mm-hmm. and um, working with that banker because they probably see the business plans and the financials that do get approved versus do not. And right. they can they can guide you uh, in terms of what the underwriting committee is looking for. Okay. Well, so when you started your business and out of convenience, you went and opened a checking account uh, at the bank around the corner just because mm-hmm. it was easy to drop off your deposits there every day. It's not necessarily the bank that might help you through your growth um, with the, the lending and the capital that you might need. Absolutely. Yeah. So some okay. banks are, are local community banks. And a, a community business would go well, would do well working with a community bank. There are other banks. If you decide we're, you know, in Phoenix right now, but we want to go national, well, it would behoove you to go to a national bank. 
um, and and try to work with them because you're going to be either opening up franchises and uh, you need mm-hmm. to have a bank that understands the different marketplaces and how those different marketplaces um, operate. Right. Because each region is different within the United States. Okay. So let's – I want to make sure we talk about the six parts. Mm-hmm. When you talk about having an investable business plan, one where banks, angel investors, VCs will take a look at it and say yes, uh, what 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 are those six parts? What do you need to have in that business plan? Okay. Well, part number one is discussion of the market opportunity and the business idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're telling the investor or the bank, this is the idea, this is how many people will actually potentially purchase this product or service, and you'll have a subset in terms of the amount of of people that you would actually need in order to break even. Okay. Um, Part two is the customer acquisition and retention plan. Mm -hmm. You can also refer to it as a marketing plan. Um, But it really is about how are you going to get customers through the door? So how are you going to attract, convert those prospects into customers? How are you going to service them? And how are you going to retain them? Mm-hmm. meaning get them coming back more and more and more. And right. then how are you also going to upsell them, which means, you know, they come in for product A, can you get them to also purchase product B and C as well? Okay. Part three is the team, which we've discussed before. Yes. Part four is your competitive analysis, what other competitors are out there. And a lot of times it's not just direct competitors, it's what other options does someone have for your product or service. So let's say your product is water. Well, I can go to the grocery store and buy, I don't know, 12 different brands of water. I can Mm -hmm. use a filter. I can use tap water. So you want to look at comparables as well. Yes. So, well, go ahead. go ahead. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go through the last two, and then um, then we can talk a little bit more uh, in depth yeah, about these. I, um, yes. So the the fifth part of the business plan is your financial forecast, and the sixth part is your exit plan. And this is really for angel investors and venture capitalists. So with an angel, and we will come back to a question you had asked before, what are they looking for? They're looking to get their money back in three to seven years, depending on your business and how long it's going to take for them to recoup their money. So with an angel investor, you have to basically give them different ways that you can actually get their money back for them. And I'll give you one example. One thing that you could do is, let's say you own a local catering company and you're going to borrow money from an angel investor. Mm -hmm. You can say, in three years when my credit and collateral and cash flow is at a level that it needs to be, I'm going to get a bank loan and pay you back your original investment plus you know, uh, interest or however you decide to set that up with the angel investor. And you need about three to five different ways that you're going to um, have in terms of options of returning those funds back to the angel investor or the VC. So not just one, but three to five. Yes, yes. Okay, 
They want to cover their bases. If one doesn't work, exactly. <laughs> they want to play in B and C and D and E. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and when you as an entrepreneur come prepared with this information, you are putting yourself in the top 1% of all of the entrepreneurs and all of the pitches that they hear. Wow. Wow. So have these six items. Now, you you did give us the six items, and I would like to go back and talk through a couple of those. Mm -hmm. When you talk about competitive environment, your water example was great. There are uh, lots of different brands that you can choose from. There's different types. As you mentioned, you've got filtered water, you've got tap water. But sometimes, too, the competitive environment transcends your specific product. For example, and I'm thinking of uh, somebody who maybe opens a, a... something in the entertainment industry. You know, if you're a now this is this is a let's say you open a bowling alley, okay? Mm-hmm. And your competitors aren't necessarily other bowling alleys in the area, but your your secondary or your tertiary competitors could be anybody else that people might spend their discretionary dollars and time with for entertainment purposes, whether they have to go see a movie or uh, eat at a restaurant or whatever it might be. So it's not always just your direct um, product, right? Absolutely, and I want to add one more thing to this. Mm-hmm. Let's take this a step further. Sure. It's also about um, other threats that are in the community or, or um, within the industry at large. So one of the threats that I would put in there for discretionary income and opening a bowling alley is the payroll taxes that were recently increased mm-hmm. uh, on January 1st. So all of a sudden we have less discretionary income. Oh. And how are we going to um, react to that? Because, you know, this is an environmental effect that we have no control over. Again, when you bring those things up in your business plan and you bring them up in your pitch to the angel investor, all of a sudden they're saying, wow, this person is really thinking outside of the box in terms of all of the items that could get in their way and how they can actually deal with that information. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the financial forecast, how many Mm -hmm. years out do they typically like to see that forecast? Typically, they like to see five years, and Mm -hmm. the first three years you actually will do on a month-to-month basis, and year four and year five you can do an annual. However, I can tell you from the angel investors that I have interviewed, they don't really believe anything past year one. They want to see it just because they want to get an idea of how you intend to expand and grow. But a lot of times with business, you try things and you discover within your marketing plan that, oh, that didn't work as well as we thought we were going to. So what they really want to see is that you're agile and that you're going to be able to test something and see if it works quickly and cheaply. Mm-hmm. If it does work, great. We expand it. If we don't, what are three or four other ways that we could get to whatever the goal is we're trying to achieve? Yes. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up here is uh, right now, when it comes to investments, we are just getting knocked over the head with the tech community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are Silicon Valley, Silicon Prairie, you know, you have your, your um, on, the, on the coast, you know, you have your pockets there too. Uh, but it's the tech, you're getting, it's getting a lot of attention. So is the information that you're giving us today, is that um, 
really specific to tech companies or do the non-tech companies, more traditional businesses, do they have much of a chance these days of getting the kinds of investments you're talking about? I think that they do. I think that the news loves tech companies because mm. it's the sexy thing. Yes. Um, and also a lot of there are what we call angel investment networks, mm-hmm. and these are groups of angel investors that get together and look at deals. They typically like to have uh, tech businesses as well, just because, again, those are the sexy businesses. However, there are a lot of businesses, for example, you know, catering companies, bakeries, um, other types of traditional companies that are actually supported by regular angel investors. And one of the things that angels do, once they've been involved in um, investing for a while, is they actually work with companies and concepts that they understand. So there are a lot of angels out there that don't understand tech and they don't understand, you know, code and if this is a good coder or not. Um, But they would understand, okay, uh, we want to open up this bakery that is going to be gluten-free for this community. Mm -hmm. Well, most people can understand that and can understand, okay, well, you're going to need a lease, you know, you're going to need retail space, how are you going to get people through the door, um, also, if you are familiar with Shark Tank, which yes. is um, uh, uh, a very popular show on ABC where people come and share their business ideas, you very rarely see tech companies. You usually see regular companies, regular products, and, and these are very smart you know, angel investors and venture capitalists that are on there, but it's because you know, they usually promote things that are easy for people to understand. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to um, give you another stat that I thought was interesting that came out today. VentureBeat.com uh, just came out with an article that said that the average angel investor is 47 years old, he makes $90,000 a year, and he puts an average of $37,000 into a deal or a company. Um, okay. So what that means to you is you're not you you are not necessarily looking for that angel investor that is you know uh, makes fifty million dollars a year. A lot of times right. the angel investors that you will really come across and who will really support you are right in your backyard or next door neighbor or in your church community. Right. That's something that I I have noticed here in the Kansas City area is there are a lot of silent angel investors and they're Mm -hmm. not – they're they're not always they don't always have that high profile multi million dollar cachet that uh, uh, you know you stereotypically think of when you think of an investor. So you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people out there, and and the stats you gave is very telling. Something else that we're hearing a lot about is crowdfunding. How is mm-hmm. that changing the game? I think that's changing the game significantly. But from the crowdfunders that I'm speaking with, um, there are certain businesses that do well with crowdfunding, and others that do. So with crowdfunding, well, first of all, um, I should explain what crowdfunding is for those who uh, have never heard the term before. Um, It's a way for multiple people to give, uh, on average, the average crowdfunder gives $50 to a company. Mm -hmm. So, for example, let's say that you have a business and you want to raise $2,000 for – a new, a new piece of equipment, 
you can send through crowdfunding, you can send a note to all of your um, uh, friends through social media, and they can basically invest small amounts of money into your company. So they can invest, let's say, $50 in exchange for um, a prize or something like that or a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, so crowdfunding is changing the game in terms of of how people are raising money. And the big thing that it's doing is angel investors are starting to look now at people that are raising money through crowdfunding because they're saying, well, wow, if they're able to get this much support behind their business, um, maybe we should look at this company as well and support them as well and give them even uh, larger amounts of money. Okay, so some of those investors may be opening their eyes to companies that they may never have heard of Mm -hmm. before or had a chance to take a look at because Mm -hmm. um, the company owner may never have thought to approach, uh, you know, not think that they were investor-worthy, but uh, they're actually drawing attention through these websites from from, uh, professional investors, I guess you could call them. Absolutely, absolutely. We're running out of time here uh, today, Cherie. You have had uh, delivered a wealth of valuable information, and I know your book is just chock full of even more. So if people are interested in finding your book, Creating Business Plans That Actually Get Financed, where would they find that at? Well, you would go to my website, which is called businessplansthatgetfinanced.com. That's businessplansthatgetfinanced.com, and uh, you can purchase it there. You can also reach out to me and ask questions about your specific business. And how would they do that? Is that can you follow, follow a link to the website to yeah, email on, you or? Yeah, yeah, on the website there are links to all of my social media as well as my email. Excellent. So, Cherie, it's been a pleasure having you here today. Uh, Good luck with the sale of your book. And all of you out there who are listening, if you have any questions or if you'd like to purchase the book, go out to businessplansthatgetfinance.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.